Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome to the latest, uh, maybe slightly earlier, Mountain West Wire football podcast, mwwire.com. Jeremy here, hang out with Matt. Um, are you aware, which I know you are, but how surprised are you? This is our last full week of previews. Life comes at you fast, right? <laughs> it certainly does. Whew, yes, this week we have all six teams. Last week there was a couple of buys. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, we need, do we need to hop in the CFP playoff or Aztecs? Um, how do they drop? What's going on there? So they dropped by two spots. <laughs> and uh, to me, it is not immediately clear why they dropped two spots. Does anybody know why besides the committee? Okay, so, so remind, remind me, at the same time, did Houston rise in the standings? I'm pulling up now. I think they went up one spot. Why? I don't know who they beat. The, they beat an SMU, but SMU hasn't oh, beat. Geez. They've beaten literally nobody. So like, you know, SMU is an eight and three team. Um, and, and I know, and I, I apologize to Utah state fans in advance, but you know, I'm sure that there are fans in the American looking at SMU the same way. A lot of fans around the other, around the West are looking at Utah state. Maybe that, but but then again, but but then again, Houston is not that much better. Trust me. If you've read my articles in the last few weeks, I have thought very deeply about this. Houston actually stayed the same. Okay. So they got jumped by Clemson, but. Aztecs thing is where because they're better than Wake Forest. They're better than NC State. Um, they beat Utah, but it's a different Utah team. Now, I figured they would maybe move up, like, with kind of with Utah, kind of, because that looks like a much better win for them. Because mm-hmm. Utah took 19, went up four spots. So, basically, Utah Utah, and uh, who else would have jumped? Why did they drop? Anybody else? That's weird. I don't have the top but, 25 in front of me. I do. I'm looking at it. It's like, whatever. But they're jumped by Utah. They're they're just dropped. They're moved down mm-hmm. with, um, I guess, NC State. If they stayed the same, it would be the other team. I don't – yeah, the UNLV game wasn't great. It was a close one. We mentioned it, how the Rebels could have won. But I, they should be above Wake Forest and probably, well, NC State at minimum. And depends who you are. Utah, should they be ahead of Utah? Because better season, head-to-head, tougher victories for uh, the Utes there. 
Yeah, I mean, I could, I guess I could see the argument. Like, I thought that the Aztecs would lose a little ground this week. You know, I think I projected them to move from 19 to 20, yeah. but I didn't expect them to lose two spots, which I think had less to do with, with their overall performance than just kind of pieces moving around them. So where did it come down on Utah and San Diego State? Because we had some San Diego State Twitter, like, well, the head-to-head. I'm like, well, it's like in your power pool for the season. It's like it's not a one-week game. Like, everybody's getting pissy for dropping Utah State for losing – or why would we not be ahead of Utah State? I'm like, well, there's a difference there. Yeah, I mean, you know, from my point of view, and I have no idea, like, how well this does or doesn't align with how the committee looks at things. You know, I look at, like, the bare minimum of, like, what actually counts for something is yeah. beating, beating a bowl-eligible team. Or a power five team more specifically, really, I'd say. Yeah. So so like in in right now in a vacuum, you look at Utah and they, they curb stopped Oregon. Yep. Um Stanford. They, and and they've taken <laughs> they, they've taken care of business and you know, they've beaten a pretty solid UCLA team. Yeah. That's probably gonna finish with like eight or nine wins. Yeah. You know, they they lost to Oregon State somehow, but that, that was weird. but even that loss is looking a little better. Yeah, it's an okay loss, yeah. You know, they they have more or less taken care of business since losing that Aztecs game. So while the resume isn't that much better, I think if both of those teams keep winning, then, yeah, they they will probably rise together. I mean, especially since, like, coming into next week, the, the youths play Colorado, and Colorado is, is not very good this year. No. So but then they get that Pac-12 title game against most likely a top 10 Oregon team. Again. Yeah. So like, so assuming the best case scenario for the Aztecs in particular, which I think in, in this particular case um, you know, I would, I guess, if, I guess this sort of begs an open question. If you're an Aztecs fan and you're looking for the best possible way to burnish your resume, obviously you're, you're rooting for Utah state to win out. You know, you're, you're hoping for Fresno state to beat San Jose state tomorrow to make that quality loss look a little better. Are you hoping that air force wins the mountain division for a rematch? Or are you hoping that Utah state wins it? to give you a chance to beat another bowl eligible team with eight or nine wins? Well, I think your bigger question is leading to will they make a New York six if Cincinnati fails? Because what's the point of, this, of that type of stuff then? Exactly. I mean, I mean, it, like you said, very narrow path at this point. It's going to require probably both Houston and Cincinnati to lose their regular season finale yeah. ahead of the AAC title game, which – it could happen, you know. No, like you know, you see, you know, yeah, Cincinnati goes to East Carolina on Friday. Um, I forget. Who you, I mean, East Carolina's been 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 frisky. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm gonna say. Not rough and, and frisky, so. And I don't know. I, I forget exactly who who the Cougars are playing, but UConn. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. But but that <laughs> but that's not gonna move the needle either. Like that's not likely to move. No. Uh, that's not likely to create any kind of separation. So I guess what I'm saying is like San Diego State, it's coming to the end where it's like they have done all they could. And what else do you want from them? Yeah. It's if they're not going to miss on point, like we'll see how it goes. And play like I, I, I think that their, their, their resume is better than Houston's. So I don't understand. Yeah. I don't know. Like, so Houston ended up ahead of them, right? I, I they would jump for sure. Yeah, if, if they were to beat Cincinnati, they would clearly jump San Diego State. So that would that would mean basically a top five win by itself with nothing else to offer is worth top twenty spot or top or uh, no better than top twenty spot. It would be close to a top fifteen spot. No, 
you think Aztecs will rise that much before this? No, no, no. What I'm saying is Houston is 24 right now. Correct. They beat UConn. That's not going to do anything for them. So you're nope. saying if they beat a top four Cincinnati, that they're going to jump like five spots in the standings, six spots in the standings, because they're not jumping all the way to the top 15. Oh, I thought you said they were top 15. Like, wait a minute. Um, yeah, I think they would. Yeah. But they haven't beaten anybody. They beat that one team. They beat SMU. That's it. <laughs> they have a bunch of other terrible, I, terrible wins against terrible teams. Sandy, how, did, again, again, how many bowl eligible teams have the Cougars beaten this year? The answer is like one right SMU. now. SMU, like not even Memphis is bowl eligible yet. And they may not get to bowl eligibility because they're five and six this week. You know, okay, okay, I take it back. They've beaten two. They've beaten East Carolina as well. So they beat an eight-win team, and they've beaten a seven-win team. And now all of a sudden you're telling me if they beat a top-four team that that's worth, like, seven spots in the standings. Come on. Well, Utah moved up four spots for their number three victory. So that if, if it's three spots, it'd be a tie with the Aztecs. The Aztecs would be ahead. So that's just – that's just a okay, you know what that is then? That's a lesson to, like, everybody else in the group of five to just never try in non-conference play well if they move up yeah but cincinnati didn't want to do that that's why notre dame and since or um, indiana i i just but utah here's my boy my comparisons fly because utah moving up and houston moving up say this say they were to beat cincinnati 38 to 7 same game but utah already like i said they've already played a better san diego state team who's ranked they played a BYU team they lost to they have a ucla win they have oregon it's like I refuse. I refuse to believe that a one-loss Houston would have no better overall resume than a one-loss San Diego no. State. That's all I'm or, saying. You're right, and my comparison goes d- down there more, uh, just different because different teams. But for just, can I just say who cares about rankings? Does it matter? It's honestly that it's like this isn't going to happen. I mean, because... as long as the possibility exists, I'm going to care about it. I'm sorry, okay. that's just me. No, that's fine. I'm just saying. Um, well. But I, but I will admit that I would much be, I would be much happier if we talked about actual games now. We get to it for your the V the Valley Trophy Fresno Valley Trophy Thanksgiving Day. I remember I remember Thanksgiving Day Day game or that was Black Friday game. Sorry, bring up that one game that we should not talk about ever again. Um, (laughs) So Thanksgiving Day, it is. Oh, my computer crashed up. There we go. Seven and a half point favorite for Fresno State. Fifty-two and a half over under. 130 Mountain, 1230 Pacific, FS1. Matt, was your betting? Um, oh, I was going to look at something. Betting slip you made a while back for the win. So I was going to make a joke, but I was incorrect. Um, so this matchup with Nick Stark will be back a couple games. Is this like scary at all for what Fresno State can do against like that passing offense? Not really. Not because it's because <laughs> it's, and the only reason I say that is because. You know, the, the, the Spartans offense has been sort of hit or miss all year long. And I think a lot of that has been, you know, really opponent de- dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, they were able to move the ball against, you know, UNLV. They were able to move the ball a bit against Wyoming. Um, but then, you know, they cratered a couple of weeks ago against Utah State. 48-17. Yeah. And so, like, you know, tough defenses have been able to find a way to slow them down. For the most part, like, you know, obviously I would, I would put Wyoming in that group. And so it's to the Spartans' credit that they were able to put it mm-hmm. together. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it will depend on their ability to run the ball, but like how much confidence do you have that the Spartans are going to be able to do that? 
because I think that's more mm-hmm. important to them, you know, because that, that gives them ability, an ability to stay balanced and keep opponents from keying on that, you know, quick strike passing game. Tyler and, Nevins is solid. And they've tried, you know, their early down rush rate is 52%. So like the, the run pass split on first and second downs is nearly 50, 50. It's just that, you know, in terms of like EPA per pass and per rush on offense, they're below average nationally. And so it's not for lack of trying. It's just that the, you know, the, the process is more or less the same and the results just haven't really been there as much as they were last year. Yeah, there's a well average seven yards to carry by Nevins last year is not going to carry over, but you're playing they're more effective last year. They you're, you're right, they have to try. And when you look at what Nevins has done a little bit for them, like he's top 10 in the conference in rushing and everything. But to your point, when you kind of look at throughout the uh week by week, it's uh, that my assumption before I said I want to be correct, he's more boom than bust. He's had only three games of over 90 yards or four mm-hmm. games, and then rest of them like 48 12 32 so he's has high and low variance is um not ideal like last utah state game example 12 12 yards mm-hmm. he gets 116 versus fresno state that would go along be a long way to for them to beat the bulldogs exactly and you're what 37 you saying no something like that I mean, I think the bigger question for me and this I think came as more of a result of diving into the numbers really is you know are the bull is the bulldogs offense going to be able to sort of fire on all cylinders because it feels like they've been playing sort of a lot of b b minus games on offense recently do you ever get that impression well yeah you've had the ronnie river stuff you know i mean that doesn't help when he's either not playing well and also just kind of uh banged up a little bit so is that so so like obviously you know you have to you have to you know try and filter out garbage time as best as you can and stuff like that but i, I went back and i looked and in terms of yards per play like they've been above six yards per play twice in the last five games dating back to the wyoming game in in Mm mid-october you know wyoming remember the cowboys defense held them in check and just couldn't do anything on offense and that was why they ended up losing that game and then while they they had more success against nevada and san diego state in late october you know obviously boise state put the clamps on them and then while it's it's tempting to say that we didn't learn anything from having played New Mexico a couple of weeks ago, you, know, you would think that the Bulldogs would have been able to do better than five and a half yards per play. You know, on the season, by contrast, they're still right around 6.3 yards per play. So when I say that they're only averaging 5.5, 5.6 against the Lobos, which again, you know, not, not the best defense, but I would say an adequate defense that's when it starts to make you wonder, like, are there things that they're leaving on the table? And, you know, you mentioned Rivers sort of, you know, battling injuries, same with Jordan Mims, you know, that element of the game has really come and gone all season long. And then, you know, when Jay Kaner hasn't been sharp, you know, he's been you know more prone to mistakes than I would say any of the other kind of what you might consider top shelf quarterbacks in the conference have been. And so I think against this San Jose State defense, which, you know, it feels like they have been also a little more up and down recently. You know, they sure. too got really, you know, knocked back by the Aggies a couple of weeks ago. 40-something points, yeah. But, you know, they're, they're still in a position where, like, you know, neither of these teams have been very good at running the ball. And and on paper, it would seem, Lately, that, yeah. it would seem that, you know, Fresno State would have the advantage in being able to pass it. But, you know, we know that this San Jose State defense has been tested a lot through the air. And we know that they're they're capable 
of making opponents pay, pay for their mistakes because we know that they can get their hands on the football more than just about any other team in the conference. And so it, it sort of looks like that Fresno State's wading into that same kind of danger zone where if they're not careful, if Jake Hayner's not sharp on, you know, an, an unusual schedule, then, you know, the, the Fresno State can find themselves in trouble a lot earlier than anybody might have expected, or, you know, they may not have expected them to land in any trouble at all. Yeah, but I, the point, look at the, um, oh, shoot, well, Ah, the um, Hawaii game. Sorry, I blanked on mm-hmm. the Hawaii game. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying. Sorry. I'm like, wait, I'm like, I, I don't, I'm looking at something breaking in front of his why, but yeah, like I wasn't, the, I wasn't pointing that directly, but that's what I was thinking about. By mistakes or stuff happens. There's a lot of tip passes, but something along those lines where, oh, it's just the unfortunate plays where defense makes a great play, it makes interception, or just a fluke tip, kind of. There's a couple of those, like a bad pass. It's, that's what they can't do because, like you said, if Mims, if Mims and or Rivers aren't ready to go or aren't, together at least 1.3 of a player or something mm-hmm. between the two of them like good production over 100 production i'm getting like oh they can combine and get basically what those guys do if they have those guys that are if they're both ready to go yeah i honestly don't think fresno is having going to have too much of an issue with this because those two guys would be well enough the spartan defense is pretty good big stark like you said like yeah maybe yeah but the best players um jay caner by far on off- offensive side of the ball for these guys. So I go with the offense. I think that's kind of why Fresno, I think they have enough of either Min, uh, Rivers or Mims to do to be out there and be fine. But I think they have enough to just pass them anyway, San Jose State. And seven and a half, not sure about that, but uh, I'm leaning Fresno State here. As Come on, you should too, right? I mean, like I said, on paper, Fresno State should have a lot of advantages, but I think it sort of obscures the fact that, like, you know, we just talked about where, you know, the offense, like, you know, the, the process hasn't changed much. It hasn't been as prolific, but when they have connected, they've been as explosive as they have been last year. And so, you know, I, I put it out there in the preview that, you know, the, the trio of, of Derek Deese, Isaiah Hamilton and I, and uh, Jermaine Braddock mm-hmm. is one of just two wide receiver trios or excuse me, pass catching trios anywhere in the conference that has three guys averaging at least 14 and a half yards per catch, which is not nothing. So like, while, so like, while in terms of raw stats, you know, none of those guys really stand out, you know, with, with, you know, maybe Deese Jr. being the exception out of the tight end position, you know, he's definitely in that, um, that sort of Cole Turner, Trey McBride territory. And someone like him could pose a problem against this defense, especially since, you know, coming into this game, Fresno State's going to be playing without Tyson Maeva at linebacker for, you know, this game. And if they do win it and make it to the Mountain West Championship, maybe the next game too. And so, you know, if, if Deese Jr. can attack over the middle in a way and, and sort of force the Bulldogs to pay, you know, pay him extra mind with, with multiple guys, you know, then maybe that draws attention for someone like Braddock or like Charles Ross, for instance, to, to do some damage in a way that, so I think there's, there are opportunities for, for San Jose state to, you know, maybe find a path towards pulling an upset. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's only a touchdown. They, like if Starkle's out there, those guys Hamilton Dees from the ball, like that's yeah. And if and if, if, and if, past, goes decently. if past precedence is any indication, you know, let's not forget too that the Spartans have won four of the last seven in this in this series. So what are the the advanced numbers? So unfortunately, we don't have SP plus projections yet. I'm assuming those will come out tomorrow. We're recording on Tuesday evening, the twenty third. 
Um, so be sure to check that out on Bill Connolly's Twitter at uh, ESPN underscore Bill C. Or we'll retweet it. So just check. Our yeah, we'll retweet it as well <laughs> at MWC Wire. Um, but uh, FEI favors the Bulldogs by 11 over the Spartans. And uh, Parker Fleming uh, over at Stats O War on Twitter, his advanced stats preview gives Fresno State basically a 70% win probability, 69.97, projected margin of roughly 28 to 21. What do you say? So I think I think that the Bulldogs are going to be able to do it. You know, and and I say that knowing full well the history of this matchup and, and saying where, where I say that we've been here before. We've, we've seen this go in vastly different directions, but I do think that, you know, with, with San Jose State's quarterback uncertainty with the sort of, you know, offensive explosiveness that comes and goes that even though Fresno State is sort of battling towards the finish line at this point, I just don't see the Spartans being able to put up enough points to, to keep up with them. So I have the Bulldogs winning and covering 30 to 20. Okay. If San Jose State does win, that means the Mountain West will have eight bowl eligible teams. That is eight. correct. Um, but I'm leading Fresno State. They're going to win 30 to 21. So I guess they'll win and cover. All right, then. Because so I, I think if circles out there, keep it close. So, all right, Friday. So I guess if you, I don't know, we got three games on Friday, Black Friday, 9 a.m. local time. Yes, you heard me, 9 a.m. It's breakfast time. Out in Carson, California, Aztecs are hosting the Broncos of Boise State. Boise State is still a two-and-a-half-point favorite, Matt. Mm-hmm. Tell me why that's a good idea. Because I don't have one to why they should be a road favorite. I, I don't know if I can. <laughs> and I say that I say that not necessarily as a disrespect to Boise State. I say that because these two teams are very evenly matched. And so there's a there's like a, so many little matchups that you could point to as saying you know if 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 X goes one way or the other then you know this team can probably win the game so like you know I think as a perfect example it's the the fact that there were sort of conflicting reports yesterday you know during the press conference about Jake Stetz's status you know the offensive lineman you know, who's been you know primarily a left guard but he's played I think center and guard. Um, at certain points this year. So he's been sort of like one of those linchpins holding things together. Um, you know, it, when, when other guys have been bitten by the injury bug. And so, you know, if, if he is out, like if, if I believe it was BJ rain said, you know, if he's likely done for the year, then all of a sudden you're turning back to Dante Harrington. Dante Harrington was the guy who was playing center when they were having all those, you know, snap exchange issues earlier in the year. So like what happens when the big deal, when you know you've got Kashawn Banks, Jonah Tavai, and Cameron Thomas lining up against that, you know if if those sort of bad breaks happen once again, how is that? You know, is San Diego State going to be able to fall on that? You know, or is Boise State going to be able to manage that? And so, you know, you see a lot of those kinds of different snapshots where, you know, we've seen both sides do, you know, things really well, but we've also seen glimpses of when they've sort of been caught off guard or punched in the mouth a little bit. And so, you know, how both those teams respond to those things, you know, there's a lot of like strength versus weaknesses, strength versus strengths. It's just, I don't know, where, where do you want to start talking about this game? Cause I'm having, <laughs> having a little trouble kind of pinning yeah, one thing well, down. I think part of it, like the injury to the offensive line, like 
what happened? You just went over it pretty well how bad it went early in the year. All the different lines had from there having issues losing games. Yeah. Okay. So think, so let me let me explain. I think that's that the most important bit. part. Plus, George Trelawney seems to be fully healthy, and that's kind of my guy when he's good. They're good. So let so let me illustrate that point just for just for a moment in one particular way. So you typically think of San Diego State as possessing a very strong pass rush, right? Yeah. And you know, to this point in the year, that is depending on your definition, mostly true or mostly not true. And I say that because in terms of like team sack rate, they're actually right around the national average right now. You know, 6.8%, which is 62nd nationally. A lot of that credit goes to Cameron Thomas in particular. He's got nine and a half sacks. Nobody else on the team has more than three and a half sacks, but six different players, including Thomas, have at least three sacks. So on the one hand, they've sort of you know shared you know spread the wealth in a way that like the three three five defense I would imagine is is expected to do to some extent. Yeah, but like you know compare it to last year and, and like and not to pick on him, but like Caden McDonald hasn't been the same kind of like impact pass rusher that he has been last year. No, not a player. But they guy, but they but they've been able to get by because they've been winning in other ways. You know, they're, you know, they're above average in terms of like, you know, opportunity rate and power success rate and, and they're top 10 in terms of like stuff rate. So like they get in the backfield and they win up front regardless of their ability to rush the passer. And, you know, given Boise State's expected kind of offensive line shuffle, you know, Boise State's been stable when it comes to keeping Hank Bachmeyer upright. But if they can give him time to throw, you know, their own sack rate is still right around the national average on offense as well. Like they've given up a sack of 5.9% of the time. That's 56th in the country. But then again, you know, we just saw as recently as last week, if an, if an offensive line can hold up and give their quarterback time, that quarterback could do some damage against a defense that has been tested a lot through the air in particular. Yeah. And and can make the them, best receivers in the can make too, them so. can make them pay for mistakes, but has seen you know, a handful of quarterbacks be able to move the ball against them. That's a problem here because if it's, it, it so, it's, so, it's, so it's sort of like a lot of little if this then that statements, but yeah, but, but, like it, but it can play out either way, yeah. Because like offensive line center doesn't go well, protection lacking. We've seen the bad center snap exchange. How does that affect the running game? How does that affect passing? How does that affect against a, a good passing defense who can set up their attack against a certain way where they notice one thing's not right? They'll take advantage of you. Yeah, like, like yeah, Bachmeyer's a, a good enough quarterback to take advantage of him in the same way that, like, Carson Strong and Jake Hainer did. Yeah. But, so they, but, like, the, off, but the offensive mobile. line is maybe a, 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 a – The offensive line is maybe as big of a question mark as it was for, like, Nevada in particular. Yeah, I think the only better part, or not better, but the that will help is that with if Halani, assuming like a couple games, 100 plus yards, he's back. I know the line is a huge indicator of that, of how the how they are blocking and assisting and mm-hmm. pushing guys out of the way to give him the space to run. That is part of it. But if he's healthy back there, maybe that could be, you know, I mean, that could kind of offset that mm-hmm. a, a small percentage wise. Yeah. So it's not as bad for having to back up in a, or switching positions on that front. Mm hmm. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, 
It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So that's, it's hard to say because we've seen Boise's been really bad at some points, right? That's the problem where it's like, let me go ahead and say this is what's going to happen where that point, the offensive line, if it's not right, there's a crack. No, I don't say I don't want to say that they have been bad, but they have definitely well, I mean, no, they they've, been, they've, the been, they've been more average than bad. Well, I mean, like the we include like the center exchanges and all that type of stuff. That hasn't been helpful. Yeah. Like, but and the, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, you know, even with Halani back, like, yeah, he's run for over hundred yards. But you know, how I, how much did we learn from them mostly kind of sitting in the ball against Wyoming and, and New Mexico? <laughs> and and how much are they going to be able to open it up which i think you know if i remember correctly the offensive coordinator tim plow had mentioned during the press conference yesterday that you know once they realized okay well yeah we probably have it in the bag against the lobos that they were holding something back well well how well are they going to be able to execute whatever they held back against the aztecs it doesn't matter they, this is game number 11 of 12 what are they holding back <laughs> like, who cares about the about the New Mexico game? They won 37-0. This is game 12. They're not – There's, they're, I doubt that's something they've shown all year just for this game. That's not how – I don't – that's not how this works. It's like they showed everything. I think the, I th- but I think the biggest question for Boise and their ability to, you know, sort of exploit San Diego State's secondary is what exactly are we going to get from their secondary pieces? Like, you know, who's going to be, for example, like their Josh Kelly or their Tory Horton? Because we've seen it. We've, first of all, really? Well, they do when Stephen Cobbs has been healthy. Yeah, it's a problem, but he's been out for. And, years, but, but occasionally it's been him. Occasionally it's been someone like Octavius Evans. But I think they need someone other than Khalil Shakir to be able to step up and sort of shoulder some of that load. Yeah. Because, you know, I would imagine that they will line up Shakir with Taylor Hawkins most of the time. And so that leaves, you know, whoever else, else, you know, probably, probably Evans or Cobbs, you know, some combinations to lining up against some of the younger guys, like, you know, Noah Tumblin, Noah Avenger, Dallas branch. And so, you know, I think, you know, those matchups, which may be the less heralded ones overall could be the most decisive ones for, for Boise state, especially since, you know, as, as well as San Diego state plays on defense, you have to expect that Boise knows they're going to have to string together long drives and, and not necessarily even in terms of like long scoring drives, they just need to string together drives that are long enough not to get pinned back all the time. Yeah. Cause matter is a field position way the Aztecs hold the ball and themselves, but that's it. See, does it, but wouldn't that play into Aztecs and if you want fewer possessions, Maybe. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Man, maybe there's after like I sit here thinking, like, okay, you make a point, I say something, I go this way. I'm like, the two point, it should just be a pickup of the way we're discussing this game, kind of what can happen, right? Like if if you're looking for for maybe one one number that, that Boise State has to get out in front of. You, you look at San, San Diego State's stop rate, which we, this is a, something that's put together by Max Olson at The Athletic. The Aztecs are currently fourth in the country, I believe, as of last week, with an 80.2% stop rate, which means that basically four out of every five drives ends in a punt, a turnover, or a turnover on downs. So basically, 
Boise State needs to figure out how to string together better than, you know, you know, one in five drives, you know, so basically they need to be able to move the ball in such a way that they can threaten at least with field goal ranges, which, you know, doesn't even necessarily mean getting into the red zone. They just need to get Jonah Dalmas in range to maybe connect on a 30 or 40 yard field goal or something like that, which again, even that that is is easier said than done, but you know, they're going to have to prove they can do it because like if, if this game plays out, in for lack of a better example, kind of like last week's game did where Matt Ariza is doing his thing and they have more than, you know, five or six drives that start inside their own 20. You know, you look at available yards per drive, you know, versus, you know on the Aztecs defense versus the Boise State offense. On, on defense, the Aztecs are fifth. You know, they've allowed 32.4% available yards per drive on average. Uh, by contrast, Boise State, Boise State's a basically a top 50 team. But, it, but they need to play like a, like a top 25 team because on offense, they've only, they've only earned 56.6% of available yards. If they're pinned back inside the 20, like if they're starting at the 15, let's say, that means they're going to have 85 yards to go. 60, what is 60% of 85? Do you know that off the top of your head? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm going to look that up. So it's basically they need to earn you know 50 yards. And where's 50 yards going to get them if they start okay. at their own 15? That's going to get them to the 35. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to be a little bit better than that if they're going to have a chance in this game. Yeah, they're not making 50 or field goals. Come on. That's what I'm saying. They're going to need, they're they're gonna need to be a little no. bit, they're going to need to earn a little better than 60% of available yards per drive, I think, if they want to have a chance in this game. I think they could do that. I think it's a big if. Well, maybe. I think here's what. I think let's say the offensive line is a little backed up for Boise State. It doesn't go as well, but Aztecs and offense. Let's focus like Greg Bell. We have like if he is almost a similar like these teams are kind of similar with each other a little bit. Boise can clearly do a bit more passing. But the running game when Greg Bell's not super great, George Lonnie's not super great, he's not playing well, that's a problem. So that's discuss that a bit where Greg Bell, if he has a pretty big game, like hundred plus yards at least. That's going to be fun, going to be one of the bigger reasons they win. I get it with the Aztecs led by defense clearly with three three five and Brady mm-hmm. and everything what he kept. But point being, they still need him to do something on offense because if Aztecs go three and out, four and out, like they punt every other possession or not every other, but I mean punt two three punts in a row, maybe get a field goal here, their touchdown. Boise's offense is good enough to to break through somewhere, even if the if the offensive line might be taking a step back, and so. Mm-hmm. I think they you're right, the possession limits and who should like who who wants to have more possessions compared to fewer. Let's give it to freaking Greg Bell, let him run the ball. If he does well in this game, that's gonna be a big indicator because of longer drives. Clearly, in the lower, I think Aztecs, as we both know, would be fine only having like eight possessions the entire game. No, see, as I as weird as it sounds to say, I think the bigger key for Boise State in this game is to you know, keep Lucas Johnson from having the same kind of performance he's had for basically the last month or so. Yeah. 200 something yards last week, which, you know, which again, sounds weird to say on its face because it's not like he's out there being confused with an all conference performer or anything like that. Nope. But other than the Fresno state game, he's basically been exactly the kind of quarterback that San Diego state needs for the last five weeks or so, you know, going back, I believe to the Wyoming game. Or no, who, who was, ah, no, that's not it. Is it. They didn't play the Wyoming this year. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but in a nutshell, last five games, 
<laughs> he's completing 64.4% of his passes. He's only averaging 6.4 yards per game. But other than the other than the sort of the below average game he played against Fresno State, which is within those five games, mm-hmm. you know, the only other interception he threw was the one he threw last week where Ricky Johnson, you know, made that athletic play yeah, to, to, sure. to come down with it. Other than that, he has basically been a mistake-free quarterback. So Boise State's going to have to figure out how to force him into mistakes, which, you know, we know what Jeff Eklixi likes to do. You know, he, you know, you mentioned he likes to lean on the ground game, obviously, yeah. but you know, when they throw, when they go back to pass, like they don't always keep him in the pocket, they'll roll him out. They'll have him throw on yeah. the run. And, you know, that could be a test for, for Boise State pass rush, which is still continue to be pretty strong. All things considered this year, you know, they're in the top 25 nationally 24th with an 8.6% sack rate. So if those guys can get after him and frustrate the passing game, then I think that's maybe the, that starts working the game in the Broncos' favor, because I think what you want to do is, you know, not necessarily focus exclusively on the ground game. I think you have to prove that you can keep the Aztecs from throwing it first before you focus on the ground game. Yeah. Cause it comes down to Johnson a little bit, not comes down to him, but there's a reason he's been playing pretty well with him back there, what he's been doing. Yeah. So it's. And and that's just, why. I, that's why are just going to do what they've been doing. They're going to keep it the same. Like why change? He's been yeah. throwing well. But I, but I do think that place. I do think that Boise State will be comfortable playing in that same kind of game. Like if it becomes a defensive fist fight, that would not surprise me in the least. <laughs> no. Oh. I think the outcomes are going to be a low scoring game by either team winning. Or Boise State winning like by three touchdowns. That seems highly unlikely. I don't see the Aztecs blowing out this team. Yeah. Because their point told they barely blew out like uh, when they're like they not blew out, but the over under for that Rebels game was 10 and a half. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what did the advanced numbers say from what, what's available to a Tuesday night? So, FEI likes Boise State. Uh, they favor the Broncos by 5.7. Uh, conversely, Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview, very slight advantage. To San Diego State, fifty-one point one five percent win probability. Okay. Um, so your projected margin between the two teams is basically zero point four points, twenty-seven point six to twenty-seven point two. So what's your projection? I think I'm gonna take the Aztecs. Okay. I think I, I think they're I think they're gonna win twenty-four to twenty-one. I'm going to go close to that would be I'd go past the over under, which is only 44 and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. What'd you say again? 27, 21. I said 24 to 21, 24, 21. I'll go 20 to 16 for San Diego state. All right, then we'll do that. Next game, Utah state at New Mexico, Albuquerque. This is an 11 a.m. local kickoff in Albuquerque. I guess it's black Friday. And that do we need? Oh, no, we didn't mention Matt. We're very bad. We're very bad podcasting people tonight. That game was on CBS over the air at 9 a.m. local time. We did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we got so wrapped up in actually talking about the game, we just forgot how to how to tell people how to watch it. So and it was, and it's 9 a.m. <laughs> That's, That's true. So just you know, roll out of bed, find find your major network. You'll be good to go. Yeah, and see, definitely. I, I can't believe we passed that. But it's also obviously the home of Aztec football CBS. That is true. That is true. You just go to any <laughs> CBS station, you'll find it eventually. Exactly. Low numbers, most likely. All right. Uh, game out in Albuquerque. Aggies versus Lobos. FS1. 
15 half point favorite by Utah State, who watched a game where um, is embarrassed the right word to use their loss last week? Is that okay to bring that up now? Is it too soon? I mean, that's your term. I mean, I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to deny that they got blown out, but it wasn't. It was like things fell apart from the get go. Like they were competitive with them for roughly 20 minutes. True. You know, it cures that plan to Mexico. That's true. <laughs> the non quarterback run low, running Lobos there. Sorry, Roger, but uh, and he understands it's a tough one, but they threw what two completions last week. Eight times? Yeah, and, and, and Bryson Carroll got forced back into, like, actually playing at quarterback. Yeah, the grad – what was what's his technical position there? It was like a grad I believe assistant. he was a graduate assistant, yeah. Yeah. Was, and, like, and so I think the expectation is – and this is, like, this is dire um, – because I believe it was – started? Steve, no, Steve Bergen of the, <laughs> the Albuquerque Journal had said, you know, and I mentioned this before, you know, they've started, what, seven different quarterbacks in 18 games under Danny Gonzalez? Way too many. Um, Connor Gennel might make it eight. Oh, no. <laughs> this is going to be a, a blowout. It's going to, yeah. Shaq Bond's going to have a fun day tomorrow. Or on Friday. I think, that, on Friday. I think that entire defense, if, if they are. B.J. Vonkentron's going to have a fun time on Friday. That, that entire defense is going to be motivated. Justin Rice is going to have a fun time back there. It's 15 and a half way too low than after with that news that it might be uh oh my gosh. Is that too much? It, it or might not be, enough. To be Sorry, it not might too be. much. Oh man. Okay, let's be real. So what can they what can the Lobos do here to aid in a potential upset victory at home? Run the ball? That seems to be what they need need to do with their with their quarterback situation that's uh like we mentioned, not good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they need to get back to disrupting, which, you know, they, were, they sort of had a lackluster performance in that regard last week. But it, was, it hasn't like they, it hasn't been like they lost the capacity to do so. Like they're still above average against the run. They're still sort of, you know, here and there, you know, in terms of like overall sack rate as a defense. But, you know, they just need to try and get, you know, a little bit more, you know, maybe, maybe they'll be inspired by kind of going on on a high note. But it's really going to come down to like you know their their legion of young guys and, and what they'll be able to contribute. And so, you know, we sort of know what Joey Noble is going to be able to do. But you know, now you're seeing other guys being pressed more to duty. Like you know, Langston Murray you know, has been out the last couple weeks with injury, so now they're starting you know Bryce Santana at nose tackle. He's another you know redshirt freshman seeing his first extended playing time for the first time. You know, he started I believe last week. He's starting again this week probably. You know, how, how is he going to contribute? You know, what is that linebacker core of, of uh, you know, Devin Sanders, Ray Lutelli, and Sire Riley going to be able to do? You know, are they going to be able to generate more pass rush with those guys? So it's not necessarily all on Noble to do it himself. And then, you know, with this sort of reshuffling in the secondary, like if Tavian Combs is back from injury, I think that'll help. But, you know, they played pesky down the stretch, even when things were well out of reach last week against Boise State, you know, Dante Martin had an interception. You know, Ronald Wilson has a couple of interceptions this year. So, like, they've shown an ability to create plays. Yes. And and conversely, Utah State has shown an ability to be reckless. And so I think if Utah State ends up falling back into that, you know, that same, you know, where they sort of flipped the script last week where they got off to a really fast start and then fell into a rut, 
Like if they get off to a slow start again in the first quarter, I think that's where New, New Mexico could potentially find a way to hang around. But again, it's going to be incumbent on the offense finding answers. And I think, you know, even if the defense does everything well and plays its best game of the year, yeah, we haven't seen anything from the offense in the last month other than Aaron Dumas, Aaron Dumas, excuse me, that would suggest they're going to be able to take advantage of it. No, there's not. If the Aggies can stop him just a little bit, the throwing game is just abysmal. It's like, like it's, it's really going to take it's really going to take oh, one maybe two scoring drives to put the Volvos at a serious disadvantage at the state of the year. Oh, totally. Um, I don't. I just don't see this. Like they lost thirty-seven zero last week to Boise State. I'm trying to come up with the words to outside of the Dumas running the ball, what they can do well and noble on defense to be able to win this game. I just, this is a young team. It's a team that's not very good at the moment. There's not much, like, I'm trying to think, how can they do this disruption a little bit here or there? Maybe Dumas has a big run play on the ground, but who's going to guard Dev, freaking Devin Tompkins? Like, he's going to, the got snubbed for the uh, Blitnikoff finalist, but man, he, there's, they're gonna be you want to talk about a guy that's going to be motivated. Yeah, totally. Like he, the whole list was garbage. There's like three other guys, five other guys who, sh- who should have been ahead of them. It's terrible. But I mean, I mean, I think the I think the one thing that New Mexico can do to help to help their cause is you know basically just avoiding turnovers. Because yeah. and and I I didn't realize that the split was this wide, but in the three games they won this year, they they turned the ball over one time. In the eight games that they've lost, they've turned it over 17 times. So they're basically giving the ball away twice a game when they lose, yeah. which which is Jeez. plenty for a team like Utah State to take advantage take of. Take advantage of score, yeah. It's like you've got those two plus two turnovers or minus two, I should say. Your opponent's plus two on you. So I think, you I, know, so like even if it's sort of dysfunctional here and there, like, you know, it, as long as, as nobody's putting the ball on the turf, as long as nobody's throwing an obvious interception or anything like that, you know, yeah. even even if they do nothing, they could give themselves a chance to hang around. I, I don't, but other than that, I don't know. Man, um, the path to victory it seems like on paper is very slim. What does advanced numbers say? Because I have nothing much more to add to this one because Lobos are playing like one of the worst teams in college football, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so FBI likes Utah State, as you might imagine, by thirteen point three. Um, Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview also likes the Aggies 86.77 win probability, uh, projected margin of roughly 40 to 24. Oof. Um, but but I hate to break it to you, New Mexico is not scoring 24 points. I know that too. Like, <laughs> so what's your score then? Fewer than 24 for the Lobos, yeah. I think I'm going to take Utah State to win and cover pretty comfortably. Um, I'm going to say 42 to 6. 42 to 6. Okay. 45. I'm going a little bit lower. I'm going to go 30 to 10. All right, then. I'll give him a little bit of a chance. All right. UNLV at Air Force, CBS Sports Network, uh, tw- excuse me, 130 local, 1230 Pacific. Falcons are 18 point favorites, Matt. Mm-hmm. That seems ridiculous. It's, it's interesting. The, uh, so the rebels have, been, have improved lately, but like, is 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 Vegas thinking that the that the Falcons are peaking right now? You think? I don't know because that's the 
beating UNLV by 18 points is one thing, but an Air Force team beating anybody by 18 points is kind of another thing because it's does it's not too common they blow people out like that due to how many possessions and everything they have. Maybe they think they're peaking. I I don't know. That's that just seems way too high. Like that screams to me. UNLV easy easy money. But well, they've won, they're, they're, they're they are they are above 500 against the spread this year. Yeah, I'm saying, but also Air Force barely beat Nevada in that fourth quarter was bad. So why are they be peaking? Like CSU game is pretty good. Yeah. Beating Nevada was a minor upset, but I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. It just seems a lot of points to be allowed to a team that's been playing well. And quarterback situation, if if Justin Rogers does anything close to what he did last week versus San Diego State, whew, there's a shot. They have a shot. Now, now here's the really fascinating thing to me about this particular game. Is because you you would think of all the teams that might be able to challenge Air Force in terms of like you know slowing down what they do best, so like stopping the ground game. Under normal circumstances, UNLV might be the last team you think about. Why is but, that? But, but because you you think UNLV, you think oh they're bad at everything, right? Sure, yeah, that's yeah. what you tend to think. <laughs> but if you've been paying attention to the Rebels this year, and if and especially if you've been listening to this podcast this year. Mm-hmm. you know already that UNLV has been quietly pretty good at defending the run. You know, just in terms of like, you know, line yards per carry, for example, the 22nd nationally, 2.38 yards per carry allowed. You know, opportunity rate, which is, you know, just basically enabling opposing running backs to get to the second level, which is typically, you know, after four yards, they're 13th in the country. Power success rate, which, you know, we talk about short yardage situations for a first down or a touchdown, um, they're 22nd. Stuff rate, getting into the backfield, 22.4% stuff rate. That's 11th. And so I look at that, I look at that matchup and I look at a front seven that has really come on strong as of late. You know, obviously, you know, Jacoby Winman has caught fire recently. You know, Kyle Beaudry's playing at at a high level. He looks like a tackling machine all of a sudden. You know, so like in that young talent, you know, we, we've mentioned Brennan Scott, you know, he's been one of the best defenders in the second half of the year anywhere in the conference. And he's a redshirt freshman, by the way. Mm-hmm. Guy. But but all of those pieces are starting to come together in a way that wasn't immediately clear at the beginning of the year. A lot of young talents are stepping up for the Rebels. And, and when I look at them versus what has been sort of a remade Falcons offensive line, you know, some of the, some of the pieces, especially I believe along the interior kind of shuffled here and there throughout the year, but they're, but they're playing at a high level, like their, their strength, you know, isn't like elite in the same way that it was with their, you know, kind of all American type players last year, but it's still like a top 10, top 20 type of offensive line. And so, you know, I look at that particular matchup and you know, I wrap it up in terms of, you know, in terms of like EPA per rush, for example, um, the Falcons are 36th nationally on offense and the Rebels are 32nd on defense. Hmm. And so I think, okay, well, what is going to give? Is UNLV going to be able to prove it one last time with a much different test than they've had in a lot of recent weeks? Or is Airport going to be able to assert its will in the way that it has against most opponents this year? It's a good question. It's uh, <laughs> we know what Air Force does, right? So it's why would it be a different versus UNLV? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it is one of the uh, you know we talk about strength versus strength matchups. 
I don't think anybody would have expected that to be a strength versus strength matchup at the beginning of the year. No. But, on, but on paper, that's what it is right now. And that makes for a really interesting kind of angle to, to follow. Totally. Well, I think Air Force has, has – uh, it's one thing they have a good rush defense, but a good rush defense against this type of defense you face. Because Air Force with the yards, we always say, maybe give up the yards, but don't give up the huge player like the set – don't allow them seven yards to carry, but oh, you only gave up 165 for a team or something. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure fill them those big plays. That's what I always say here. And it's sort of a, it is a strength. And maybe Rebels can make a few more plays here or there. But I still think the way Air Force has run the ball and lately with uh more than just like Daniels and Brad Roberts getting the ball and move making plays and getting those yards. Mm-hmm. I just don't think UNLV UNLV will have enough. They've had so many close one score games. I just don't think they're if they're gonna break through, it's gonna be through this team with the Falcons. Yeah, I mean, I think the other big thing too is, you know, obviously we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be like until Friday comes around. It's true. You know, you know they're, but, you know, it's interesting though because they get a full week of preparation because they played on Friday last week too. Oh, that's right, yeah. Air Force is coming off of a short week. And so, you know, Cameron Friel is going to get that extra day of, of to recuperate and sort of see if he can play his way back onto the field. But if he can't, then obviously one of the big questions is going to be, okay, well, is Justin Rogers going to be able to do it again? And, and I say I that, know. and I say I that know. knowing that like, you know, Air, Air Force has, has been able to give as good as it gets this year. You know, obviously they got pushed by, you know, Carson Strong last week, for example. But again, let's not forget that they took down Carson Strong seven times, you know, seven sacks. And the, and the defense knows how to get its hands on the football as well. So like, you know, they've got the safety tandem of Corbin and Trey Taylor that's playing well. You know, Trey bug is one of only a handful of defenders anywhere at the conference that has at least 10 passes defended. So, you know, if UNLV wants to be as aggressive as they were last week, you know, I don't think they should be shy about doing it, but I think they have to be careful about falling back into the same kind of, you know, obvious turnovers that really sort of buried them in a lot of those, close games that they ended up losing over the last month, month and a half. I, I'm going to go back to what I said. Like I, Air, I think I'm leading the air force to win this one. Okay. I, I expect to like, here's the thing. Let's go back to Justin Rogers. It could have been just a huge adrenaline boost where he like to say, Oh, I'm going in. Let's go play. And just I'm making plays, swing the ball around. That's it. If he starts and gets weak to prepare, maybe, I just think it could have been an emotional type of thing where he's out there playing and making those big plays and getting so many yards. Mm-hmm. And you've seen quarterbacks come in like that next week, they're garbage and trash. Mm-hmm. But I was also a, kind of a fan of Rogers early in the year. Like when he was a starter, maybe he would be that guy, but I just don't see him being able to have the same performance. Cause more of like a, just a excited to play and go out there and just throw the ball around. And that's why I think he'll come back quite a bit. And that'll be kind of a big difference in this game. Okay. So I tell me the advanced numbers. Um, so oh, FEI, FEI likes Air Force as a big favorite, um, perhaps like you do. Uh, they favor the Falcons by 18.9. Uh, Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview also sees Air Force as, as a heavy favorite, 85.19% win probability, projected margin of roughly 32 to 17. I'm going to say 40 to 10. Just to crush you, unfortunately, for Rebel fans out there. I think it's going to be a lot closer than that. Mm. I don't think you're giving enough credit to the Rebels' defense. 
but I don't think that, but I don't think you're going to have enough answers to be able to contain this ground game for 60 minutes. So I think it's going to be close. And, and remember great teams cover UNLV is seven and three against the spread this year. So they're a great team. So, (laughs) so I'm going to take the rebels to cover pretty easily, but I'm going to take the Falcons to win 31 to 24. Okay. All right. Let's go to Saturday. Hawaii taking on Wyoming. Rivalry game. Every game's a rivalry game, it seems like, right? You forget the yeah, are you forgetting the Paniolo trophy? Dude, no. I was about, to, I was about to say, I was about to chastise no. you for the, for the disrespect. I, no, I love that trophy. It's one of the best in all of college football. It's a game, it's the matchup where Wyoming's there should be the hot team. That's why Vegas likes them. Minus 10 in this game, 10 point favorite at home. Um, no man, we're not gonna get a snow game. It's supposed to be a high of 52. Well, we should we should also mention too because I think I interrupted you when you were going to say it originally. One o'clock Mountain, twelve o'clock mm-hmm. Pacific. Yes. Um, I believe that is what ten a.m. Hawaii time at this point. But daylight savings, maybe nine or ten a.m. I'll pull I'll pull that up while while that's loading. We should also mention it is on Spectrum Pay Per View on the islands, which means <sighs> you're going to want to break out your Team One Sports app one more don't, time. Yeah, don't delete it yet. Un- uninstall after this weekend. Um, 10 a.m. Hawaii time. 10, okay. They don't do daylight savings then. That's why. Um, why Wyoming? Dude, Wyoming, they've been they come off the huge win, win over Utah State. So do you think, um, speaking of quarterbacks with them, because Sean Chambers is out, do you think Levi Williams has outplayed him enough? Or they're going to be a um, – he's just kind of doing his job in placeholding but getting the wins? I think Levi Williams is looking better and better by the week. Okay. I think he's getting more comfortable. And I think the, the most important thing, which, you know, yeah, maybe it's obvious. He's just, he's been more accurate. Yep. You know, that's, that's really the, the, the yeah, that's a big deal, for, right? for a long time <laughs> is they just, you know, they, and, and he's a guy who can, who looks like he can make a great deal of the throws. Like, even if he doesn't have like a, the rocket arm of a Josh Allen, and I'm going to say it right now that it's going to be unfair for any Wyoming quarterback in the future <laughs> to be compared to Josh Allen. But you, he has a he has an above average arm who can you know he because he can throw down the field like he made that first touchdown throw to Isaiah Nair last week look really easy. Oh yeah, maybe, you know, maybe part of that was the blown coverage, but you know he can he's got arm strength to be able to challenge what has been a tough you know Hawaii secondary. But then you know we just saw this secondary really bend a lot last week against Todd Santeo and Colorado State, and so. You know, the, the narrative here, as I see it, is like, you know, both of these teams had huge offensive turnarounds last week, but how much of it was real? Mm-hmm. And so, so you start, you start, start picking out, you know, maybe nitpicking, okay, well, if it's real, then, you know, this team is going to have to do this and, and X team is going to have to do that. And, you know, so I think in, in those terms, like, if, if Wyoming is going to hold on to the gains that it showed last week, what do you think is the one thing they're going to have to do the most? To keep their gains or find more gains for Wyoming? They're, especially on offense. So, like, what's the one thing that Wyoming has to do on offense? Well, to, I think to prove that last now. week that wasn't a fluke. Well, I mentioned a lot about both the guys running the ball. What's more likely is that that would be an area to keep going. I think running the ball more effectively, because it's been back and forth, like, Validate great one week, swing great the next week, or vice versa. Um, however, the running game will probably be there, regardless of who it is. I guess I want to see Sean James or no, not Chambers, 
Levi Williams be within 85% of what he did last week. So I think regardless, the running game will be there. It may not be as good as last week, but I honestly think the passing game might actually be a bit more important. Mm-hmm. So get him within 85%. I think that's fairly reasonable. See, I think what I'm most interested to see is, you know, how much confidence that Craig Bull has in their ability to lean on the passing game, especially in passing downs. <laughs> when and, you're and supposed I, to pass. <laughs> and I say that because, you know, while, while Levi Williams doesn't have like nearly as many, you know, third down you know, passes as, as other quarterbacks in the conference, like there, there are four guys in the conference with over 100 third down pass attempts. And Levi Williams has just 27 but he's completed 63% of his third down passes. And, you know, among the, you know, the quarterbacks in the conference that have at least like, you know, 10 or 20 third down throws, he's number one in terms of like passer rating, which, which isn't like the most accurate measure of how effective a quarterback can be, but it seems to suggest that there is something there in his ability to move the chains. You know, he has four touchdowns, you know, he has, you know, he's averaging over 10 yards an attempt. And a lot of that, I believe, if you if you dig even further into the splits, comes with the realization that he hasn't actually faced a lot of third and shorts either. Interesting. You know, he he he's, he's had exactly one pass on third and three yards or fewer, and and he didn't complete it. But it's, so you so you put that into context, and you realize he's been pretty good in any in just about every other third down situation that's been presented to him. And I would say also that's been a credit to him. That's been a credit to, you know, some of this, you know, complimentary pieces that have stepped up in recent weeks. So like, you know, Joshua Cobbs looks like a guy who can be an effective compliment to Nair on the opposite side of the field. You know, Wyatt Wyland has contributed a handful of big catches, you know, Trayton Welch has. And so if we could see more of that, that ability to move the chains, which was sort of MIA for really long stretches earlier in the year, you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, even against a, 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 excuse me, a Hawaii secondary that has been tough more often than not, you know, that's the kind of thing that could definitely turn this game into one that looked like last week for the Warriors. Definitely, yeah, that's that's right there where you say it's correct. Um, you think, like, you know that you mentioned, like, these extremes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think... <laughs> Because wait, Hawaii? Who were they last week playing against? What was their? Sorry, I'm Hawaii played Colorado State. Yeah, oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, the fifty to forty-five. You're like, wait, if they get blown out, like that. You're right. That is a recipe with what Levi Williams can do. I because we've, we've always praised the Rams or not the Rams, but the Warriors secondary most of the year, like Cortez Davis and other guys. So I think that, like, if we you talk about earlier anomalies about oh, who's going to keep it better or keep that same performance the week before. Mm-hmm. I don't like kind of what I mentioned, like Williams is 85% to keep it going. His defense, geez, they're not going to be within 10% of that. I like give up 500 passing yards. No way. Mm-hmm. Like if they give up over 200 passengers, I would be surprised in this game. Cause Levi Williams is not, we know he's not the superb or well, the offense technically, if we want to be more realistic of who's calling the plays and whatnot, but they're not wanting to throw for 300 yards. That, they're, that's not their goal. Mm-hmm. And so if he gets over 200, that's a problem for Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that conversely, the big thing for Hawaii is can they get sort of one last push from the running game? Which, you know, there was there was a, there was a stretch from like late September to late October where they were just running people over. 
and and that included at least one good defense in Fresno State. You know, from from the New Mexico State game in late September to the to the other New Mexico State game <laughs> in late October, you know, Pick they they were averaging you know they averaged six and a half, five point two, six six and a half, and seven point three yards per carry. But over the last month, and, and again, you have to adjust for sacks at least a little bit in this. But they've fallen off a cliff, it's basically since Halloween. You know, against Utah State, they averaged under a yard per carry. Against the Aztecs a few weeks ago, under three. Against UNLV two weeks ago, basically two yards a carry. And they were slightly better than that against the Rams. But when I say slightly, they were still under three and a half yards per carry, despite the fact they scored three times on the ground. And so to me, like it, it was it was cool to see Siobhan Cordero be able to air it out, you know, like he did last week against the Rams. But I don't know if he's going to have the same kind of success if they try doing that again against this secondary. Because I think, you know, CJ Colden, Azizi Hearn could make him pay for any errant throws. Although I do think that, you know, Nick Marner is likely to be a, you know, a, a physical size you know, nightmare for either one of those guys. But I do think that, you know, getting one last big performance from 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 Dedrick Parson and or Dating Hunter yeah. is going to go a long way towards helping Wyoming survive on the mainland. I agree. What so what do we got at the advanced numbers? Because that's uh for last second before we get there. So the running game is likely the most important, almost the most important thing for Hawaii. Like yeah. maybe pretty good. Yeah. So uh FEI likes Wyoming. They favor them over Hawaii by nine. Uh and then Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview. Uh, heavy favorite uh, for the Cowboys, 82.24% win probability, projected margin of roughly 35 to 22. So within about 13 points there. Mm-hmm. So what do you have kind of, what's your, where, what's your leanings, I should say, I should say. I think I'm going to take Wyoming to win this one. Ooh, okay. And, and one thing we haven't really talked about is how the Hawaii offense has sort of gone back into that that thing where they tend to scuffle on the mainland more often than not. Also, people aren't liking Bo Graham at the moment either. So, yeah, and so you know, I which is not to say I don't think it's gonna be a close game. Like, what's the spread on this game? Uh, ten. Ten. I. I mean, I don't know if I would trust the Cowboys to cover ten. So I will take Hawaii and the points, but I will take the Cowboys to win. I'm gonna say thirty-one to twenty-four. I think Hawaii could break through against this defense a little bit, but yeah, I'm, when you look at what's more stable on the field, it's Wyoming's defense, I think, overall. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go Cowboys to win 21-13. All right, then. Final game of the weekend, 7 p.m. local time there in Fort Collins, 6 p.m. Pacific, CBS Sports Network, Nevada at Colorado State, Wolfpack a healthy four-point road favorite over the um, – Struggling Rams, is that how we should introduce them here? Yes. <laughs> yeah, struggling Rams. See, the biggest fight people are having is who's the real tight end on the field. Because some people that we know say Cole Turner's not a tight end. But that'll be a fun matchup. But the Rams, like, they are, oh, man. They have lost five in a row. We got to give credit for the offense last week for showing a big versus CSU, or versus Hawaii. It's going 45 points. But, man, that defense – this might be another shootout if somehow the Rams' offense gets going because Wolfpack, they can put up points. They have Romeo Dubs, another receiver's turner, who we say is a tight end because that's what he listed as, right, Matt? Mm-hmm. But 
like the over big picture thing, Rams need their kind of Todd Santeo and Dante Wright, to, like they did last week, to get out there and sling it pretty good. Not nearly at that same production level, but I think it's one way to start. Plus, clearly, obviously, the ground game against the bad defensive line. But yeah, I, I was going to say, I that, think the way, yeah, I'm and, just saying, real quick, and, the way it's a shootout potential, the pass game needs to be on point as well. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we know what Colorado State's going to want to do in this game. Yeah, we know they're going to want to run the ball. And we know that Nevada struggles against the run. Like we know that they've been bullied a lot this year on the ground. You know, this, this is, this is what happened. This is where you get, you know, opportunity rate that's 121st nationally and a stop rate that's 117th nationally. They've not been good against the ground game, but like when you look in terms of like EPA per rush, you know, Rams offense versus Wolfpack defense, Nevada is 110th in terms of EPA per rush allowed. Um, but, the, but the Rams are only 104th on offense by that same metric. So the, the big question that you have to answer first and foremost, I think, is is this Rams offense going to be in a position where they could take advantage of that weakness? Or is Nevada, or is Nevada finally be able, going to be able to fight back a little bit and press, it, and press its advantage with the pass rush? Again, it's later in the season. We know what these teams essentially are. Yeah. But also... I know your point, your leading question, say the Rams rushing game isn't consistent. <laughs> not necessarily what the Wolfpack defense can do up front. I mean, it's had its moments, but on, on mm-hmm. the aggregate, it has not been very good. No. With, this includes sacks, like 3.7 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Long of only 36 of the year, which you'd hopefully have something bigger than that. Yeah. And, 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 it, is, and it is not for lack of trying because their early, oh. down, their early down rush rate is still above 60% talking steve adazio here come on and but convert, conversely is- conversely they if you want to put this in contrast with this particular game in particular mm-hmm. um colorado state is twice as likely to run the ball on first or second down as nevada because of their early down rush rate for the colorado state like i just mentioned 60.8 yeah. percent uh nevada runs the ball at the third lowest rate on first and second down of any team in the country this year um, their early down rush rate is only 29.9%. So, so, so how much that ratio changes may or may not, I mean, it, it, it's sort of interesting to watch. I don't think it's going to change that much, but if it does, then, you know, I think it's a matter of, it, well, okay, is Adazio going to trust Sinsale more to be able to move the ball through the air? And, uh, and are they going to try, are they going to try to get Trey McBride the ball a little more often early? You know, because, you know, do they think McBride can win against like Nevada's linebackers, for instance? Because like Diane Henley has, has has four pass breakups and four interceptions. But if he's tasked with, you know, with, with handling McBride one-on-one, is he going to be able to win those matchups consistently or not? So that's a big question. It's, uh, McBride is um, one of the two best tight ends, tight ends in the conference. I'm going to lean toward, yes, he'll find a way. Mm-hmm. So, it just, but I think also the way Dante Wright kind of broke out last week, they need that as well because we know it's right and McBride are throwing to, but those matchups, those guys are going to be focused on more. They're going to need, like we say, don't throw just to four or five guys or throw to six, seven, eight, nine, just so they keep that defense honest. Because if they have to kind of, okay, we actually really going to guard somebody or put less focus on Dante, right? That could be bad mm-hmm. for Nevada Wolfpack and good for the Rams if less coverage is put on those two guys because somebody else is coming up with a a first like a first quarter with two catches three four targets and like 30 yards like oh wait maybe we gotta watch this guy 
Yeah. So that's something that would be helpful for them because Santeo, that's what he did last week. He threw to multiple people, right? Had a huge game, but you know, slinging around to make Nevada's defense be honest. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. But do we trust like let's go back to the running game? Like, do we trust David Bailey to do it? I don't know, man. This no. Okay, good. That's all we need to. I, I asked the question, <laughs> like, well, I'm asking, we discussed it enough. There's that's a no. So Carson Strong. This is his possibly very last game at Nevada because uh, he better be going pro right after this game, or I guess after the season. So, so you think he's so you think he's likely to set a whatever bowl game they go to? No, no. So I just meant last home game. I apologize. Okay. Because I was looking at something like what Chris Murray was like. Well, well they're they're on the road. But continue. Oh wait, am I what? <laughs> I read something about them. I bet I know you know what it was. I bet Matt. It's one of the articles that's the most popular and not the most recent, put at the top. I gotcha. I gotcha. It was something like that. It's an honoring. I didn't look at like I assumed I don't whatever. Okay. Um now I lost the talking about you distracted me thoroughly to correct me before I sounded even more stupid <laughs> than I already did. I don't know where I was going at that. I was gonna I had some thought for Carson Strong. Like, yeah, last game or something, whatever, blah blah blah. Uh, like, okay, so so can I take a wild stab because I have a car a point about Carson point a strong. Just, just go with your point. We'll just say that just go with it because I've completely spaced it. So so if I'm Matt Mummy, I look at the fact that Carson Strong has completed over 70% of his passes on first down. So you're saying pass on first down? Is 70, 71.2%. <laughs> yes. Um, I also look at the fact that he's also completing over 70% of his passes on second down. 74.5%. You know, I, I look at that, at, at that, you know, what they've been able to do. I see that Carson Strong has been, you know, willing and able to throw the ball. He's been successful doing it. I look at that Ram secondary and I say, I'm going to do exactly that until they prove they can stop me because they didn't really get after Siobhan Cordero last week, especially up front, you know, other than Scott Patchen, the, the, the rest of the pass rush was basically non-existent. So, you know, for, for all the struggles that Nevada has had in running the ball this year, pass protection has never really been an issue. And, and if Nevada yeah. get, you know, decides to get comfortable again with just being one dimension and be like, okay, we'll just let our quarterback throw it 50 times and see if you can stop him. It, again, sort of like we just talked about with, you know, is Colorado State going to be able to take advantage of Nevada's weakness defending the run? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, conversely, is Colorado State going to be an advantage to stop Carson Strong? I have my doubts. Yeah, I don't think they're going to fully stop him. There's no way. Because that's well, that's that's precisely my point, and, and maybe maybe that was me making my point for you, or making no, your saying, making no. your point for you. Well, I just it's pretty common, <laughs> like Cordero's not Carson Strong. You know what I mean? Like he's Carson Strong's better. He's better weapons. He's a better quarterback. I honestly don't think the Rams are gonna keep this close. Because, no, because I, do you, do you see Centeno having a similar performance this week if they need them to air it out and keep it point for point? No. And we've seen how aggressive um, Jane Ravel and Mummy will be. But I think a lot of that will depend on, on how resurgent Nevada's pass rush has been. Yeah, that's which, which, which again, Which, again, we didn't really get to see it because, of course, last week they played Air Force. Um, <laughs> but, you know, on paper, you know, this is a matchup of, of teams with, with top two pass rushers in the conference in terms of, like, raw sack totals, right? You know, 36 for, for Colorado State. 
34 for Nevada. But, you know, it just seems like Nevada is in a position to, to sort of pin its ears back and get after Centale in a way that Hawaii couldn't really do last week. And, and if that's the case, you know, then you, this could be another position where the Rams find themselves, you know, sort of behind the eight ball way too often. I'm leaning, shaking the eight ball and say, yes, high probability okay. or something like that. Oh man. So, I just, they so, can't so keep pace. Even if, let's just say this, the Rams, say Nevada's pat, rush defense isn't great like it is. They, and Bailey has a decent game. Okay. That's, the one way, one thing Ramsey do, they could open everything up. So I think that's kind of the big, if I'm looking for one area where they could decide, like it's not that the right game is going to be amazing for the Rams, but I think that's my one area, micro focus of where the outcome could be had. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so FEI likes the Wolfpack, maybe not by as much as you might expect though. They favor them over the Rams by 3.2. Um, and Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview gives the Wolf Pack a 58.35% win probability. Uh, projected final margin of roughly 28 to 24. What do you got? What are you thinking? Um, it is not going to be that close. <laughs> I'm going to take Nevada to win and cover. I'm going to say 42 to 21. Well, I hate the Rams. Like, what exactly is there to believe in at this point? Trey McBride. <laughs> no, I, you're right. You're not wrong. I'm going to, I always lean in. Like, if you're an illegally placed to go put $4 down, maybe put more than $4, but put it all on the on Nevada Wolf Pack to get to win. For you the, put, uh, you put $5 down, you'll, you'll get a free lunch by the time this game is over or something like that. Yeah. Do live bets when it keeps changing, like the mind for Nevada favorite. Um, 38 to 10. Nevada, obviously, right? Was yeah. there any, any, any thought I was going to say Colorado It, it, it never hurts to clarify. <laughs> That's true. I had to pause. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to say Nevada. All right. Six games, final full week of the show. Crazy. Oh, my goodness. We're here. We're going to, what do we have like the next? Are we doing our next week? Have our all the postseason, all conference stuff from us, right? Uh, yes. So that's going to come together pretty quickly. Um, I already have the Google form pretty much ready to go. I'll ironing out a few last individual names. But uh, kind of pulling back the curtain here a little bit for our listeners, as soon as the game is over, as soon as this game that we just talked about is over on Saturday, I'll be sending that Google form to our staff. Um, We'll be putting the votes together. I do all the math myself. Um, We will probably post it by either Thursday or Friday. Perfect. That'll be great. And then we got championship. And then we will also, so we should, we should also mention like with, with, with our predictions, we should point out like what, what the championship game is going to look like if our predictions are correct oh. this week. Oh shoot! Yeah, we. So should. so okay. if I remember, so if I remember correctly, it would it would be San Diego State and Utah State in the championship game because we both picked Air Force to win. Yes, we did. Um, That's kind of the key thing there. Uh, I picked San Diego State to win. Um, so did I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So San Diego State would win the West in that case. Um, and but, air quote, and post. then. And then since uh, and then since Boise State would lose, assuming that and we both predict, predicted Utah State to beat New Mexico, mm-hmm. that would mean that Utah State and Air Force finish in a tie for first. And since the Aggies have the head-to-head, oh no, the Aggies! Oh my bad! Oh, we have the Aggies in the, the title game. The Aggies are heading to the title game in that case. Apparently, the Utah State Aggies we hate. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Wouldn't that be something? 
it's it's going to be a fun weekend, man. I can't wait. Games are spread out, and once yeah, and we can go check out your tiebreaker post, a Mountain West Pal tiebreaker as well on Twitter, which is pretty uh, which was um, simple, and you update the computer numbers just in case it goes that far. So check all that out. We'll post out like who clinches and who's yeah. All can, actually, there. can we talk about the computer numbers for real quick? Yeah, tell me, tell me how close it is, Matt. Okay, so so again, this is subject to change because they will change after this weekend's you know matchups. Almost any game they'll change, regardless of they, this. Yeah, they but, but Thursday but, you know, but you know most of most of like the hosting and divisional tiebreaker, and it is mostly for hosting purposes. I should I should clarify that at first. Yeah, you know, for the most part, like. You know, it, obviously, if San Diego State wins, they're going to host a title game no matter who comes out. Although, you know, if San Diego State wins, then that means it's either going to be Utah State or actually it would it would be Utah State in that case. I, f- I forget exactly because you know, because because Air Force. I mean, sorry, computers. Or 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 it would be Air Force if Utah State also lost. So, like, if Air Force was the only team among the three in the Mountain Division to win. You know, they would basically they'd be seven and one. They'd be hosting either Air Force or Utah State, no matter what. Yeah. Um. But you know, in in some of the matchups, potential matchups, especially the one where San San Diego State loses to Boise, Fresno State beats San Jose State, Air Force beats UNLV. At that point, it becomes sort of immaterial whatever Utah State does. Actually, no, it wouldn't. Utah State would have to lose to New Mexico too. So, in the event that there's the three-way tie, for mm-hmm. you know, basically, if there's any way that Air Force wins the division, whether it's the three-way tie for first or the sort of you know Air Force Boise head-to-head, if Fresno State wins the West Division, right now the computer composite for both of those two teams is separated by less than one point. Whoa. Because yeah, on average, you know, in terms of like the, the six computers that were used by the BCS, which I'm not immediately clear which ones the conference actually uses, so that could be subject to a little bit of change. But you know, in using the six that were used by the BCS, so like you know, Anderson and Hester, your Collie Matrixes, your your Masseys and your Sagarins and all that, um, Air Force currently coming into this weekend, thirty nine point three three on average. Oof. Fresno State is forty on the dot. So in the event that both of those teams end up playing for the title game, we may not know until Sunday exactly who's going to be hosting that game because they wouldn't have a head to head. And so it would go to the computers. It depends. What do we have a time? ETA when the computers are let out. Like the they, they, they it's, it says in the procedures that they, they figure it out by Sunday. The day after the regular season ends, just it could be eleven fifty nine. So I would, time. so I would guess that by the time we record on Sunday, um, that we, we that we should know. Yeah, but you know that is the most likely scenario where the computer composite is going to come into play. Most of the other ones just come down to either head head or something like that. But there's there's potential for chaos in in this sea of possibilities. So be ready okay. for it. Because if I do recall, just to wrap up this little last bit, the uh, last time they had to decide by computer it was early afternoon like we knew like maybe by lunchtime yes out west so yeah and in that case it was a lot more clear cut ahead of time that boise state was going to be the one hosting there's one of those i forget what it was 2017 yeah there yeah so to watch out for the tiebreaker stuff to see who went enjoy the weekend it's all spread out thursday friday saturday it'll be awesome 
And that's it. Check us out, mwr.com, and we'll see you next time, folks.